You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. Locked On Packers is brought to you today by Built Bar. And remember, you can get the best tasting protein bar ever when you use the promo code Locked On to get $10 off your first box of Built Bars. We have our crossover series starting this week with the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints today, the biggest threat to the Packers outside of the 49ers in the NFC last season and potentially the biggest threat outside of the 49ers this season. With all due respect to the Eagles and the Cowboys, who still have plenty to prove when it comes to their ability to win games in 2020. We're going to get to all of that. My friend Ross Jackson to talk about the Saints is going to be on the show, of course. And we are going to talk about the schedule release that came out last week. But I do, for those of you who reached out, I want to thank everyone who let me know uh, they offered their congratulations, they offered their support. Uh, My wife and I gave birth to our son, Theodore James. Baby Theo is just a few days old now, and uh, he and mom are are resting comfortably at home. Are we sleeping a lot? No, but uh, we are doing great. And uh, I would just, again, want to thank everyone who reached out and, and offered their support, even some Bears fans. I mean, can you believe that? So some things are bigger than sports, and, and someone actually you know, said just as much on Twitter that it is, it's more than rivalries. This is real life, and, and I think right now uh, that is as apt as it could possibly be. When it comes to the schedule, we're already too far behind the curve in terms of talking about it because it came out a week ago. And we, you know, if you wanted to get all of the, oh, this game, that game stuff, by now, you've probably already got it. Oh, these are the tough stretches. It's harder in the beginning than it is in at the end. There's that stretch, you know, after the bye week where it's a bunch of NFC playoff teams and the Packers are going to have a tough time um, getting a, a lot of wins in those stretches. All of that is true. What I find fascinating, though, The Packers' win total before the draft, depending on where you looked, was 9.5, according to Las Vegas oddsmakers. And after the draft, it fell. That's always fascinating to me because the Packers didn't get worse. Now, if you want to look around the NFC and say, okay, these teams got better, I guess you can say that, although banking on any team to develop with their rookies is potentially a fool's errand because rookies, as I've always said, tend to be bad. Now, what I think is particularly interesting in this context 
is the Packers are favored right now if you go game by game in nine games, all of their home games and then at Detroit. They're also a pick at Chicago and a pick at Houston, which implies that Las Vegas thinks the Packers are better than those teams. They get the extra points for being the home team. Now, this raises interesting questions about how Vegas views fans not in seats. This is a question we don't have an answer to. Are there going to be fans? It seems highly unlikely there will be fans opening day. And we don't have answers right now about where the NFL's risk profile is with all of this. Would they rather start the season on time without butts in seats and then when that is tenable to get them in seats, they will start that? Or would they just say, we'd rather make sure everyone can be at these games for all 16 weeks? Albert Breer talked about the tens of millions teams would be giving up by not having fans if they had to play the season that way. That is a ton of money. So would they consider moving it to November to start the season to give the medical community ample time to create a vaccine, to create better treatments, to make sure that fans could be in the stadiums if fans wanted to be in the stadium. That is a question that we don't have the answer to at this point. But when you look at the schedule and the Packers are favored in nine games and then picks on two more games, that means that they are as good or better than 11 teams on their schedule. Yet they are sitting there at nine wins. That says to me that the Packers with a normal season are a nine or a 10 win team with some bad luck. They're a seven or an eight win team. And with some good luck, they're an 11 or a 12 win team. We, we have to think that there's going to be some regression in these close game numbers. That is to be expected. Um, this, this winning ugly is something that, you know, I have always thought is overstated, but at the same time, they won some games late that they probably just will not win in 2020. Luck says it probably won't happen. There's also just this fact that the schedule's tougher. And it's not that they played necessarily a super soft schedule last year, although they got some breaks. You know, you get to play David Blau instead of Matthew Stafford, and that helps. And, and no, they didn't have a tough schedule last year. This year, they've got the NFC South, and that's going to be a challenge. They've got the AFC South, and that's going to be a challenge. You know, there are legitimate playoff contenders in all of those divisions. Plus, you got to play the first place schedule, which means you have to go to San Francisco and, and play those kinds of games in addition to the, the games in your division. Detroit is going to be better. Chicago is going to be better. Minnesota is going to be worse. But is that going to make up for those little differences, those marginal differences where, you know, a game that swung your way because of a bounce here or a bounce there, a call here or a call there? Those bounces, those lucky things, and I know fans push back on this idea that it's luck. A lot of it is just luck. A call goes your way or it doesn't, and that decides the outcome of the game. Some officiating cost the Lions that Monday night game. Yes, the Packers came back, but if a call or two does not get made, they lose that game. So those kinds of things, you need that kind of luck to get to 11, 12 wins, really in any season. 
unless you're just really supremely talented. And the NFC is too deep for the Packers to believe that they can just sleepwalk through these games. Now, that back to this point about the over-unders. Nine with two road games that are that are jump balls, basically. Then you factor in, okay, week one in Minnesota. Well, what if there are no fans? And the huge advantage of a dome stadium team at home is mitigated. You go to New Orleans in week three. What if there's no fans? Is there really that big a difference in playing a game at the Superdome versus a random practice facility if there's no fans? How big a difference is it to sleep in your own bed? That is a fascinating question that right now we don't have the answers to and won't have the answers to until we actually see the games on the field. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It tastes like a candy bar, but you don't get the sugar, none of that gross, gritty protein bar texture. We're talking about chocolate, chocolate peanut butter, chocolate mint, all of the things that you walk down the aisle at a grocery store and you find that candy bar that you love. I love Snickers Almond. That's I think it's the goat candy bar. Built Bar makes you think. They, they trick you into thinking you're having candy, but it is 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, and just three grams of sugar with three grams of net carbs. And right now, when you go to BuiltBar.com, you can use the promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your first order at BuiltBar.com. All right, let's get to my conversation with Ross Jackson. He is the host of Locked On Saints. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A, Ross Jackson Nola. One of my favorite guys on the Locked On Podcast Network. I, you know, I try not to play, play favorites, but Ross is a good dude. Ross, thanks for being on the show, and let's dive right in here. These are two teams, you know, with all due respect to the 49ers, these are two of the premier teams in the NFC, two teams that I think we both agree, Ross, are going to be in the mix in the NFC this season. And I would say that the perception of their off-seasons really couldn't be more different, even though I don't know that either team is is really fundamentally that different from the team they were a year ago. Yeah, absolutely, Peter. I completely agree. And one, of, I love the, the, the point that you make, too, is that these are two teams that, yeah, they're going to meet in the regular season, but they're both deeply entrenched in the postseason conversation for 2020 already. So there's a potential of these teams meeting uh, even further down the line as well. And you know, we'll see what the difference between those rosters are by the time that we get there. But these are certainly two of the premier, premier squads in the NFC. And uh, both of these guys are both these teams very much in the thick of that conversation for deep postseason runs. So a lot of fun. Uh, and it's been a fun offseason for both of these teams, too. And like you mentioned, sort of in different ways or sort of in their own way, but uh, not a ton of changeover, but the changeover that's been around is certainly uh, noteworthy, I guess I'll say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the the Packers for a little bit more, uh, I was going to say salacious, that's not quite right, but a little bit more <laughs> se- sensational reasons. Um, and, and the Saints, just because the Saints are going to be really good again. And I think there are similar questions with Drew Brees. How much longer is he going to play? They now have approximately 16 backup quarterbacks in New Orleans. I think they right. have as many backup QBs as the Bears have tight ends. And <laughs> they're they're pushing their chips in. The Packers maybe didn't do that 
Yeah, yeah. A little bit of an interesting thing, particularly when it came to that draft and the selection of Jordan Love. I mean, of course, over for the Saints, there was a lot of conversation about Jordan Love potentially being an option for New Orleans as the yeah. uh, heir apparent. They had interest in him, reportedly. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were very, they uh, spent a lot of time with him over the offseason or during pre draft meetings and everything, but eventually passed on him to add to the offensive line to sort of give a little bit more help right now to uh, Drew Brees. And then, of course, in the future, whether it be Taysom Hill or the newest New Orleans Saint, can't believe I'm actually going to. I get to say this, but the newest New Orleans Saint, Jameis Winston, which is another huge talking point yeah. in terms of what's going on in the Saints land right now. Because if you would have told me a couple years ago that the Saints would be uh, losing Teddy Bridgewater in free agency to the Carolina Panthers only to add Jameis Winston as a third string quarterback on a $1.1 million contract. I don't know if I would have believed you, Peter. I'm not sure I would have believed that. And that Taysom Hill is making approximately 10 times what Jameis is going to get in 2020. <laughs> Yes, exactly right. Exactly. If right. I'd have so told you that, time. you'd have had me committed. You'd have called. You'd yeah, have right. Called somebody. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, he's on a two-year, twenty-one million dollar contract, but eight million dollars guaranteed per year at sixteen total in terms of his guarantees. And uh, you know, you can look at that and look at the fact that Teddy Bridgewater was paid last year at seven point two five, one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid, I believe, backup in the NFL at the time. And now all of a sudden, you've got Taysom Hill holding that, uh, holding that reign. And uh, a lot of that comes down to what his responsibilities are, of course, as he backup quarterback but also how he contributes all on the offensive side so a lot of options for the saints there and uh curious to know uh from you is there an option to get jordan love involved in the Taysom hill no i'm just kidding i'm joking i'm joking but it seems that everybody it seems that <laughs> Matt, every Lafleur was everything. actually asked about that in the, in the press oh, conference really? he was asked how could go? you see he said you know i haven't even thought about it um but he he didn't he certainly didn't close the door on it um, I, I would be shocked if the Packers did something like that. But at the same time, Certainly. like, who knows? I, I, was, I was shocked <laughs> they picked Jordan Love. So I, I feel like I'm, I'm flying blind on this a little bit. Like, I, there's a 100% chance we see the Eagles use Jalen Hurts like Taysom Hill, right? And, and exactly, we, know, yeah. we know the Saints are going to use Taysom Hill the way that the Saints use Taysom Hill. Here's, here's a fun one. Are we going to see a three QB set? Are we going to see quarterback 11 personnel on the field for, for the Saints in 2020? I'm curious about that. They've got three different quarterbacks now that they can, or really four different quarterbacks, honestly, if you consider Tommy Stevens, who they traded back into the draft to right. take in the seventh round, who also essentially was maybe, I guess you could say, the catalyst for what became the Taysom Hill position because it was actually developed with Joe Brady at Penn State with Tommy Stevens and then brought to New Orleans with Joe Brady. And then Joe Brady, of course, is very close to signing Tommy Stevens uh, in undrafted free agency. And the Saints said nobody. And then they traded back into the draft to select him, uh, which was just another. You could just kind of add that. You could kind of check that into the long list of petty Sean Payton moves. Uh, but <laughs> certainly very, very interesting to see exactly how the Saints are going to use these guys. I mean, will Tommy Stevens even be on the roster at that point? But will there be a time to where we see a Jameis Winston, Drew Brees, Taysom Hill type of a lineup. I'm going to say no for now, but as you mentioned before, we've certainly been surprised by both of these teams in the past. Well, if we really want to get crazy, Emmanuel Sanders threw a pass as a member of the 49ers against Mm -hmm. New Orleans in New Orleans. So, I mean, they could put a bunch of guys on the field who could all throw a pass. It's, It's kind of like the... The nerd analytics wet dream of of what you can do on the field and just say and look, there's no question Sean Payton is is burning the midnight oil trying to figure out ways to do this because that's just who he is. That's yep. the kind of coach he is. He just 
he it's exciting to him to think about this kind of stuff and and that's the kind of coach you want I think a lot of Packer fans for a long time have been jealous of what Sean Payton has brought to Drew Brees because the feeling at least is that Mike McCarthy never did that for Aaron Rodgers and Mm -hmm. if he had he'd still be in Green Bay probably yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I mean, it, you know, we saw a little bit or, or we've seen over the years sort of a, a, a lot of information coming from Green Bay and coming from, you know, beat writers and everything around that surround. And of course, all the great work that you've done as well all over uh, in terms of, you know, how do we build around Aaron Rodgers? And Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show talking about it'd be great if they drafted some skill position players and things like that. And, uh, you know, they got A.J. Dillon, which I think is, <laughs> which I think really tips the hat towards where it is that that, uh, that front office led. But do you feel like they, they still haven't, to this point, really uh, continued to build around Aaron Rodgers? Or do you see that changing with Matt LaFleur in the building? I think the how is different. It's not the what, because they're still building around Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they didn't take a defensive player in this draft until the fifth round. Right. Um, and then the fourth round pick is used to move up to get Jordan Love. So, no, the Love pick is not meant to, to bolster Aaron Rodgers, but it certainly is aimed at bolstering the offense in the of long course. term. Mm-hmm. Um, when Matt LaFleur says, and he's been saying this since day one, since they hired him in Green Bay, he believes that the running game and then the ability to play action pass makes a quarterback's life easier. And we we know that second part is true with play action because play action has consistently, over the last decade plus, been the most efficient play in football. So mm-hmm. we, we know that, you know, we don't have to get into the minutiae of do you have to have a good run game to have a good play action game. But I think when the Packers do a thing like add A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara as versatile, big pieces who can be a factor in the run game and the passing game, yep. that is aimed at bolstering the offense with Aaron Rodgers, not that they're going to suddenly be some team that only throws it 45% of the time uh, because that's how they want to play. I think a lot of the reporting or what I would consider more speculating about what the Packers' plan is, mm-hmm. is is wrong. It's more about wanting to be able to play more like the 49ers where you can put 11 personnel on the field or you can put 12 personnel on the field. You can put 22 personnel on the field. I was just watching um, Packers-Washington, and they had thirteen, they had three tight ends on the field a bunch, right. and, mm-hmm. and they did some really fun, interesting stuff with it. They want to be able to throw from big personnel, and last year they couldn't because – Jimmy Graham, not oh, very good sorry. anymore. Sorry, man. <laughs> I know. Well, and and rest in the most piece to the Bears offense now. Right. But, <laughs> but you know, when you look at what the 49ers can do, and, and you guys saw it firsthand in New Orleans, yep. their yep. ability to play big and still throw because they have George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk on the field, the Packers couldn't do that last year. Yeah, and we and even saw that. We even saw that in New Orleans too, if I may say, because the, sure. the Saints really started to shift toward a little bit more uh, heavy or twelve personnel and having more tight ends on the field. Yeah. and taking advantage of that, you also saw that. I mean, the most effective receiver in that game for the New Orleans Saints against the San Francisco 49ers to start was Jared Cook, who caught two passes for two touchdowns 
right at the beginning of the game and unfortunately had to leave because of a concussion. But I think that the the, the reporting that comes into, or let me not say the reporting, but the perception that goes towards Green Bay can be a little unfair because people will look at wide receiver and that's what they want to see. They want right. to see which wide receiver are they throwing to when it's not always that. I mean, you look at the Saints, who was the, 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 the player that had the second most uh, touchdowns on the offense? It was Taysom Hill. And I'm sorry, Taysom Hill is not a wide receiver. He's literally everything else. But it just goes to show you that you can't just focus on position designation for con- and, and hope that that translates to contribution on the offensive side. Yeah, no question. And and I think the Saints are also a great example of protecting a, a late stage quarterback mm-hmm. with a run game. I mean, yep. think of how things changed for New Orleans a few years ago. They yep. get Mark Ingram to pair with Alvin Kamara and everything changed for them. And yeah, having, you know, bringing in Marshawn Lattimore and having some of those defensive players pop too, that obviously helps. Certainly. But it it made it so much easier for them to protect Breeze. He didn't have to take as many hits. You can go more play action. You don't have to play shotgun four receiver sets anymore. You can play from big personnel and take advantage. I mean, no one outside of maybe Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels would rather scheme up some sort of play action shot play for the third fullback on your team than Sean Payton, right? <laughs> it's just like it's, it's what he gets off on. And and so uh, that transition for them, and the, and the Patriots did it too. I mean, James Devlin is, is the most famous fullback since John Kuhn mm-hmm. because the Patriots found ways to use him effectively. I mean, I can name so many big, slow white dudes to have played for the Saints over the last five years specifically because Sean Payton likes to find ways to get those guys the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you saw them with Zach Line last year run a fullback option with Taysom Hill. Right. They'll do anything. <laughs> they will literally do anything. And I think that, you know, it's one of the reasons why I love, I mean, I was a big fan of Josiah DeGuara coming into this draft anyway. You know, he he's classified a little bit more. I think a lot of people talk about him as an H-back, but and and there's some truth to that, but he is a very good pass catcher as well. He can operate as a tight end. He can operate as, as a uh, just sort of a true Y guy, if you will, but also operate out of the backfield as well. And I think that he gives you a lot of athleticism at that position, whichever position you choose to, to, to you know, that they choose to deploy him in. That gives them some of those options. How do you feel? You know, we were talking a little bit about the Alvin Kamara and, and Mark Ingram sort of duo. I know it's not entirely comparable, but I'm just curious. What's the feeling right now in terms of the load share between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and how that might play into the favor of this Packers offense? Well, I think what what A.J. Dillon allows you to do is, you know, Matt LaFleur at the Combine this year said they need to find a third running back that they believe in. Clearly, that's not Dexter Williams, at least Mm -hmm. right now. Um, I I still really like the talent for Dexter Williams, and talent has never been a question for him. It's always been the mental side, the maturity questions. And uh, you'd really hope someone as talented as him could, could, you know, have the light bulb go on for him. Um, But A.J. Dillon, you know, Jamal Williams is in the last year of his deal, too. He was a very effective player for the Packers last year, Mm -hmm. can pass protect. He's better in the passing game than I think he gets credit for just as a screen game. And and this is this is the point that I've been trying to make about A.J. Dillon. Mm -hmm. Jamal Williams was a very productive player for the Packers last year in the passing game without ever splitting out and running routes. Because you can do it in the screen game, you can do it on swing passes, you can do it on checkdowns. When you are someone as big and physical and as athletic as AJ Dillon is, just get him the ball. Right. The, he doesn't. I don't think he has to be able to split out wide and do the things that Alvin Kamara can do because 
Aaron Jones can do those things. So mm-hmm. to me, A.J. Dillon is a third running back in 2020 and eventually the partner in crime for Aaron Jones moving forward. I think this this signals that they'd like to pay Aaron Jones, but that they'd like him to be in more of a, a running back by committee role. They let Jamal Williams walk and and move forward with Dillon and just keep it rolling because Aaron Jones has proven, and we saw it last year, that he has that sort of Camaro-like ability to be able to, to be so impactful in the passing game that he really is almost like a receiver out there. Yeah, for real. Shout out Aaron Jones. I mean, big part of my fantasy team this past year, too. I got to say that. No, but he was he's he really was incredible. And he is somebody that I believed. You know, when I talk about uh, the Alvin Kamara extension, for instance, and we talk about the running backs around the league that do sort of factor into the potential extension for Alvin Kamara, of course, guys like Derek Henry and Christian McCaffrey, his new deal come to mind. But I'm also very curious and I have my eyes on Aaron Jones and how whichever one of them gets a deal done first how it ends up affecting the other because those two, unlike Derrick Henry, for instance, and unlike Christian McCaffrey, are probably going to see a little bit more of a running back by committee focus for the foreseeable future. And so those are the two that I'm really, really interested to see about how their contracts affect and compare to one another, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I actually used the the Camara com- or the comparison with him the other day because I said, you know, look, I don't think it's a coincidence that the, the time where he was being asked to shoulder a little bit more of the load mm-hmm. ended up in injury yep. because he was a part-time back at Tennessee. He's, he was a part-time back in New Orleans for most of his career. What you want to do with someone like that is you want to have a hammer and you want Kamara to be this, this slasher. And you don't want to, to waste the hits on his body mm-hmm. with it as an inside runner, even though, of course, he can do it. So yeah. I think that is the same sort of idea for the Packers with A.J. Dillon, you know, the, the getting that, that hammer back to allow Aaron Jones to do more of those things in the passing game um, that, that make him so potent and make him so unique. And, and that is where Kamara is at his best as well. That, there really are a lot, lot of similarities between these two teams. Really and and the, the more we talk, the more I'm, I'm just realizing it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. This is the first time you and I have really gotten to actually sit down and go in depth about the similarities between these yeah. two, but the franchises are very, very similar in terms of the situation that they're in. I do want to ask you, though, a little bit. You know, We mentioned that the uh, Packers didn't select a defensive player until the fifth round. Clearly, that defense was fantastic last year. However, at this point, is there anything that stands out to you in terms of a place on that defense that could still use some improvement? Yeah, I think, you know, for the most part, it is that um, that interior defensive line. <laughs> and if if there was a spot where they could have improved a little bit more than they did in the draft, that's a, a place that I thought they would have looked. But um, they, they signed Trevon Hester from the Eagles, who I think is an mm-hmm. underrated player. Um, Gerald Willis is a guy who also has big time talent out of Miami, but but has some some maturity and attitude concerns as well. I like those moves for the Packers. I think those are underrated moves. I think those guys can be better than, you know, Tyler Lancaster. Um, right. But but that would be the, the question because Mike Patton wants to play nickel at biggest. Mm-hmm. He'd really like to play dime all the time if, <laughs> if he had his way. So, yeah. you know, being a little bit better up front would make that a lot easier. It's going to make Christian Kirksey's life easier if they can be better up front. So that's the spot for me. Um, as, as we look at this team moving forward, I, I do just as we're finishing up here, want to ask you because the Saints, the last two years, first round picks are centers. Yep. And, 
you know, yeah, they they signed Jared Cook a few years ago, just signed Emmanuel Sanders, but I don't know that their commitment to surrounding Drew Brees with talent has gone well above what Green Bay has done. I mean, obviously the Jared Cook deal worked out better for the Saints than Jimmy Graham did, but it's not like the Saints have have thrown a ton of resources at it. But the narrative is different, and I'm just wondering why you think that is. Is it just because Drew Brees has continued to play so well? I think it might have something to do with that. I mean, the thing about it is that in New Orleans, Drew Brees has a reputation for being a guy that can really make, you know, the undrafted guys stand out and become, you know, uh, top level receivers within their own within their own nexus, right? Within their own uh, within their own um, offense and make them top options. We've seen that with uh, Willie Sneed, with Lance Moore. You can look back to Marcus Colson, who's arguably even still right now with Michael Thomas in the midst of his career and pursuing the title. But Marcus Colson, to me, very much still the best wide receiver in NFL. I'm sorry, in uh, New Orleans Saints history. And so when it comes to the franchise, I think there's just a lot of talk from people sort of uh, maybe the echo chamber a little bit within New Orleans is very much that it doesn't matter. New Orleans is, you know, Drew Brees is going to make them better. Now I know that Aaron Rodgers has very much a ton of the same potential, but I just, for whatever reason, feel like the echo chamber is stronger when it comes to the New Orleans fan base. And when it comes to New Orleans media, that it's not as much of a concern. Now you did see a lot of people from New Orleans and those of us covering the team really start to stand up over the last couple of years and sort of pound the table for another wide receiver option opposite Michael Thomas. Cause we just watched Michael Thomas break the 149 catch you know, bring uh, and break the record for most receptions in a season. But it almost felt like just as much of that had to do with his talent level had to do with necessity as well, because the next wide receiver after him was Ted Ginn Jr. with 30 catches. I mean, the guy was hardly even around. So it's an interesting but a first round pick. So but a first round pick. Yeah. Um, so it was an interesting thing to see, you know, how that sort of translated over the last couple of years, because Ted Ginn Jr.'s first year in 2017, was fantastic in the New right. Orleans offense. And then it just kind of dropped off a little bit from there. But adding Emmanuel Sanders really kind of helped sort of from a cosmetic level show that, hey, look, the franchise is doing something and they are still putting weapons around but the emphasis on the offensive line and the emphasis on the backfield has really been where the organization has really focused mo- uh, really focused the most and you look at even this year's draft they walked out of there with four draft picks and they were only in line for five they at one point had six and then they traded four picks away to jump up and grab a tight end at the end of the third round so they added you know a center for the uh, that interior line they're probably going to shift eric mccoy to right guard and figure out a way to move larry warford or move on from larry Warford because they've been pretty disappointed with him over the last couple of years and then plug Cesar Ruiz in at center if he picks up the playbook quick enough camp and everything and however this offseason plays out will be a big part of that and then they bring in Zach Vaughn in the third round and then jump back into the third round to grab another offensive weapon in Adam Troutman but he's coming in as a rookie tight end so what's his what's his impact really going to be his rookie season because tight rookie tight ends don't often pop off the page certainly there are exceptions but for the most part they're not the guys that jump in and then have an immediate impact although they feel pretty confident in him so i agree actually that the saints in terms of the wide receiver position haven't put a ton of options around drew Brees over the last couple of years outside of michael thomas but the narrative has been very different because i think people see the running backs they see latavius murray they see alvin Kamara, they see jared cook getting signed and then it does help too that they have michael thomas who sort of helps from a cosmetic level make things a little bit 
I guess, more palatable. But I think the big addition of Emmanuel Sanders is something that's going to help to sort of calm the narrative a little bit. But we'll see, because I still feel like the Saints need some more firepower at that wide receiver position, even behind Emmanuel Sanders and certainly after Emmanuel Sanders moving forward. Well, and, and not the least of which is because Sanders struggled to stay healthy the last few years and, exactly. and was really not particularly impactful in San Francisco outside of opportunities that were created mostly thanks to guys like Debo Samuel and George Kittle. So mm-hmm. I, I've, I have suspected the last few years um, that he's been a, a touch overrated, although the Packers did try and sign him. So uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think that's relevant here too. Ross, we could do this. I mean, almost literally all day. (laughs) And because we don't have anything else to do, we might. uh, But we want to be respectful of everyone's time. So this has been great. And uh, I I hope we do actually get NFL football. I hope we get Packers Saints. Hey, let's do it twice. What do you say? Yeah, And uh, we'll get to do this a couple more times in 2020. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, pleasure to uh, finally get the chance to sit down and talk with you. Look forward to doing it again soon. I uh, appreciate all the work and everything you do. I learn a ton uh, listening into your show. So uh, oh, thanks, I appreciate man. all the great work, man. Thank you for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. You're the best, Ross. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Before we finish up, I want to let you know that if you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where you can do all of that and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. All right, I want to thank Ross Jackson again for joining the show. A lot more fun to get to in these crossovers the rest of the week. Tomorrow, we have the Atlanta Falcons, Aaron Freeman on the show to talk about an offense loaded with first-round picks (laughs) and whether or not their defense is good enough to carry them into the playoffs Uh, The Packers and the Falcons have surely had a lot of fun battles over the years, and this could be another one this season. Of course, all of the uncertainty around the NFL is still going to be in the mix, and we're going to get to all of that. And then next week, I've got a couple things scheduled. We've got the Josiah DeGuara Rookie Orientation Series, A.J. Dillon Rookie Orientation Series, and then a really fun interview series. It's going to be over the course of two days with Packers Superfan and uh, former Bachelor contestant multiple times over, Nick Vile. Um, and uh, he, he is it's really fun to talk Packers with because he is as, as passionate and knowledgeable um, as, as any fan. So he is, is a great time, and, and we'll get to that conversation next week. So a lot to get to here over the next few weeks. Of course, we will be breaking down news as we can get to it. Especially, you know, teams like the NBA are trying to make moves, trying to figure out how to deal with the current climate medically to make sure fans and players and coaches and all of the staff can be safe. Obviously, we want everyone to be safe in these uncertain times. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers at any time you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline. You can do that 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.